What a finish from Balogun. Oh, Benyatta, beautifully done. Bobby York, surely. There it is. Mbappe now. Wonderful. Got to be. Lovely finish. Goes for goal. Terry Mbappe. It's Ellie White. Ellie White. Well, it's been coming. Coming by Jonathan Davies. Kylian Mbappe brings the Parc des Princes to its feet. Hello everyone and welcome to Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in English. Rest assured, all our loyal listeners, after lengthy negotiations long into recent nights, I'm delighted to say that we are not going anywhere. That's right, Kylian Mbappe may have announced to his club PSG that he's not sticking around beyond this seventh season. But for PSG fans, all is not lost. It could yet be the one that seals his legendary status at the club because they are still in all competitions and, of course, looking to get their hands on the big-eared trophy, the one they've been chasing since Qatari ownership and, to be fair, beyond that as well, the Champions League. We're going to look back at rounds 21 and 22. Marseille fans, look away now because Brest, Lille and Rennes are on the charge up the table. Lorient are out of the relegation zone as well. We're going to look back at all the continental action, which was a tough return for the French clubs, but there is still everything to play for. Not all is lost there. Professor Andreas Evagora is back with a Ligue 1 Legends Cult Players episode. He's talking to us about Magic Chris. If you don't know who that is, hang around. And of course, if you're in the hunt for that Tice Delinga signed Toulouse jersey, we have the second clue in Deja Vu coming up. We've got an AFCON and Asian Cup wrap-up. And to help me, Robbie Thompson, get through all of this and more, I'm delighted to say I'm joined today by Liga and PSG TV commentator, Angus Tarod. Angus, how are you? Well, I'm very well, thank you very much. Um, I'll be sticking around, whether it's for better or worse, for the next hour or so. So uh, looking <laughs> forward to a bit of a chat about French and other subjects for the next hour or so. Fantastic. One of those other subjects will be with AFP's French football guru, Andy Scott, back after five weeks in the Côte d'Ivoire. Andy, how's the recovery system going? Hi, Robbie. Good morning. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite nice to be back in a slightly cooler climate because um, the, the heat and humidity out there is, is quite difficult for a Scotsman. So uh, I'm pleased to be back getting some rest and uh, getting back into the, the French football again, which is, which is very nice. And why we're all here and why you are listening, of course, our listeners. We love having you around and chatting to you every couple of weeks. Don't forget to leave us a review. Spread the word about this podcast. Like, subscribe, follow, recommend all of that on your usual podcast platforms. Well, there's only one place to start this week's chat, Andy Scott. It is the fact that Kylian Mbappe has reportedly told Paris Saint-Germain that he is out at the end of the season. This is clearly European world football's worst-kept secret, I think, after Lionel Messi to, to into Miami. Kylian is on the move, and let's face it, we all know where he's headed, don't we? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, no surprise that he's decided to move on. Um, and, of course, we're waiting for an official announcement from, from the club. Well, it remains to be seen when that will happen, but it is, as you said, um, the worst-kept secret in, in, in the game. It already was before the, the reports leaked out at the end of last week that he had told the club he was going to move on. Now we wait to see when... Uh, there will be an announcement about where his future lies exactly. Now, obviously, everybody expects him to go to Real Madrid. The thing is, that's been the case for a long time. I mean, I've actually, I, I wrote a piece nearly two years ago when, when he nearly joined Real Madrid at the end of the 2021-22 season before he, he then signed that, that new deal with PSG, which was ready to go, assuming that he was going to sign for Real Madrid, with the gist of it being that Real Madrid have, have, have been wanting to sign Mbappe ever since he was about 14. They've tried several times to get him. You know, they courted him when he was when he was a young lad, very young lad. They they brought him over to to to, to Spain. They took him, you know, they took him around the training ground. I think they took him to a game as well. There's a famous picture, isn't there, of him with Cristiano Ronaldo at, at, at the, the Madrid training ground, and and one with Zizou as well, isn't there? At the, so, that same yeah. period, I think. Yeah. yeah. So 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 you know, the, the Real Madrid have been interested in him for a long time. He has long been. I think it's pretty clear that he has long been keen on going there, and therefore that move will happen then. And then the question becomes: At what point do they announce it? That was a theme really throughout January, because there was you know even some people suggesting maybe he'll leave in January, and then just getting ready for for the announcement to come. But the question is. 
PSG's season is still very much alive. As you touched on, they're still involved in every competition. There is a chance that they could end up playing Real Madrid in the Champions League. So at what point do they make an announcement? Uh, do, do they wait until the end of the season? I, I, I don't know, but he is going to go to Real Madrid. He is 25 now, so I think it's time for him to move on. And I think there's a sense that French football and Paris Saint-Germain kind of need this, kind of need to move on from Mbappe and, and, and turn the page because the last couple of years have been, I wouldn't say polluted by this saga, but it's it's overshadowed everything for the last couple of years. And I think it's time for everybody to move on now. Angus, what's your take on, on Killian moving on? I mean, it, it has been coming for so long. I was surprised that he stayed on when Andy talks about that, re- that last renegotiation because he was so close to going. There's no doubt he's going to Real Madrid. Any talk now about it is, uh, is, is just trying to sell newspapers or get clicks because there's no doubt in my mind that, that even all the contract is signed and sealed and, and, and delivered. But, but what's your feeling, Angus, from, from inside the French capital looking out? Well, I still remember uh, exactly what Andy was saying, and it was all done and dusted before, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Everybody was talking about he's off, he's gone, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, that's one of the reasons, I think, why they made such a song and dance about him um, actually staying at Paris Saint-Germain. So I must admit, I, I, I tend to like to wait until things are actually officially announced before the, you know, actually sort of like you know, signing off on all of these yeah. sorts of things. <laughs> the interesting thing here from a Real Madrid point of view is that I was uh, reading about, you know, their reaction to what is going on. And, you know, obviously they are interested. And they said that um, they didn't want to, to make an announcement out of respect for Paris Saint-Germain. They didn't want to humiliate the club. Um, which is a new tactic from Real Madrid, I must admit. Uh, they usually do everything they can to try and get the uh, the person they want, regardless. Kylian Mbappe has dreamed of playing for Real Madrid all along. So I don't think it's never been a case of, you know, he's turning his back on Paris Saint-Germain. He's never made a secret of the fact that he dreams of playing for Real Madrid. And I guess it's inevitable at some point that he will end up going there. So, uh, yeah, there's not much more to say about it until one of the two clubs actually comes out and says, it's done. Andy. Real Madrid not wanting to humiliate Paris Saint-Germain. They, they had no problem with the Spanish national team, though, did they, at the World Cup? Was that in 2018 when Lopetegui was announced uh, heading to Real Madrid just uh, a week before the World Cup started? I that's mean, right. then, Yeah, that's right. Of actually, course, yeah. no more coach. Yeah, and exactly. It <laughs> no it no, no a, problem. It caused all <laughs> kinds of uh, havoc in, in the Spain camp. You're right, yeah. Uh, I mean, listen, listen. There's no doubt whatsoever that they're not announcing it especially until they're out of European competition and can't face each other. Because you, can you imagine announcing that you're going to sign Kylian Mbappe and then he knocks you out of the tournament at the quarterfinals or, or gets sent off or injures a player, anything like that that's officially announced? Yeah. It, it, the, the, it's such a conflict of interest that you can't possibly play him in that, in that match. Yeah, of course. Well, that, that is that is, of course, absolutely true. I think the other thing to bear in mind is that um, even if there is... I mean, my my reading of it would be that there is an agreement between Mbappe and Real Madrid that he will go there. However, that does not mean that everything is um, definitively signed and sealed by any means. And of course, with a player like Mbappe, with the you know the 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 contract negotiations will be so complicated that I suspect mm-hmm. there will be a lot of things still to be agreed. You know, image rights, for example, is one of the big ones. Mbappe's um, History with image rights is quite notable, of course. The, 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 there have been issues with the French national team, his agreements with the French Football Federation over the use of his image in terms of using it in different different advertising campaigns with, with different partners who are associated with the French national team. And it may be that Mbappe wants to negotiate things more specifically with Real Madrid on that front, for example. So I don't know. I'm just saying that there, I suspect there are probably a number of things which are not yet agreed between Mbappe and Real Madrid in any case even if there is an agreement in principle. It just shows you, doesn't it, the power of um, really big players in the modern game because, you know, at the end of the day, what happens to Mbappe if, he, if, he, if he's willing to wait? But what happens to Mbappe if he, if he, you know, tears his Achilles tendon in May playing for PSG and, and can't play for, for, for 12 months, which, is, <laughs> which could happen, right? So mm-hmm. I think there's, there's, there's well, going to be a lot he's of... He's not allowed to sign, is he, until the, the transfer window opens? He can't sign. He can't sign. Yeah. So definitively sign until 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 June. Yeah. I mean, he can sign an agreement, yeah. but it would not be so exactly. There'll be all but sorts of yeah. things to be to be to be added into a contract at this stage, uh, which would suggest that I would imagine that even if he's agreeing to go there, nothing nothing is signed yet. So it might not. You know, we might not be at the stage where Real Madrid can say, "Well, we'll wait until this point to announce it," because it's possible that nothing has yet been signed. 
and there may be some other clubs who are keen. Who knows? But I, I suspect not. My my take on this, and I, I look at it from a from from a PSG point of view, and I look at the history of Paris Saint Germain since 2011 when QSI took over. They have had a host of the world's very best players, and I can't hardly think of any of them who, despite their contribution to the club and despite or in spite of not winning the Champions League, have still contributed greatly to this club and have not received the hero's exit that they needed. And you need only look at what's happened in the last 12 months. But before that, Zlatan Ibrahimovic more or less left on his own terms. Edinson Cavani snuck out the back door, didn't play that that delayed Champions League campaign because he was out of contract. He was, well, Zlatan was the club's all-time leading scorer. Then Edinson was the club's all-time leading scorer. Messi was run out of town. Marco Verratti was, was let go like that. Javier Pastore received a, a great ovation but was no longer a first-team player when he left. Angel Di Maria, possibly, even though it wasn't always rosy towards the end of his time. And I just think the club is going to be in a position now where if Killian doesn't win the Champions League, he's another that's going to have this impression that he's been run out of town. That I see, I see the fans on social media and the way the, the fans are saying, we need to move on from this. We need to close the door on this period. He has to, he has to leave. And I fear that he is going to be the next in this list of players who's not going to be recognized by even the club's own supporters, let alone in the history books of the club, as one of the club's greatest players of all time and, and a club legend with 200 goals for Paris Saint-Germain more than any other player part of this incredible revolution and and it's crazy it's crazy to think that that the club is incapable of celebrating its heroes i mean the only one that really got a hero's ovation was david beckham 6 months in <laughs> with just 6 months left of his career and it's it's crazy to look at the the history of what's happened since then yeah, I, I, I think that the, the, the name you mentioned first there would be the one who's most comparable. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, the, the transformative impact that he had on PSG, albeit in only four years there, is is probably the only one that can be compared to Mbappe. I mean, Cavani had practically fallen out of favour as well. You know, when, when, when he left the club, he was no longer necessarily a first pick, whereas Ibrahimovic really went Yeah, but your legend status, of your course, club servant status exists. But Ibrahimovic's presence was kind of overpowering, wasn't it, in, in the way that Mbappe's mm. presence is overpowering. But yeah, I mean, listen, I think that knowing now that he's not going to stay gives PSG the chance to to give him a proper send-off, especially if, let's just say, they go out of the Champions League you know, before the final and they have the, the league title wrapped up early. They, they have time to prepare a send-off for him. The other thing is, you mentioned the Champions League. I mean, perhaps we'll talk about it later, but I, 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 don't, I, I think the chances of PSG winning the Champions League are pretty slim this season. So um, you know, I think they're going to have to get used to the idea that Mbappe is going to leave having not managed to win the Champions League for the club. And of course, the club will continue to exist after he's gone and they will have a lot of money to spend on a potential replacement and there will be talk about who that person might be. Perhaps we want to get into that. Angus, let's get into that. As, as Andy suggests, you have to start planning. I mean, football clubs are very pragmatic things. They're already planning for a player to moving on. Certainly someone like Luis Campos is looking and, and has his ears to the ground, has already been planning. They've already brought in a host of attacking players. But the talk at the moment is someone like Rafael Leao at, at AC Milan, who is a, a fantastic striker, Victor Ozzyman. Does this PSG just have its pick of whoever they want? And can they and can they get them? I mean, are they just going to get the checkbook out again? Well, of course, they had a good look at Rafael Leal when they met them AC Milan in the Champions League. And Victor Ozzyman uh, has been great when he was at uh, Lille. He's now moved on. He was so unlucky not to get uh, a goal uh, in the latter stages of the uh, Africa Cup of Nations, ruled out uh, because of a, f- a foul that resulted in a penalty at the other end to South Africa. For me, if they really wanted to go for it, bearing in mind the profile that Paris Saint-Germain are going for these days, Sebastian Haller, born in Paris, has played in France, released by Auxerre to my ever, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> ever shame as he was sent out on loan to the Netherlands. But of course, once oh, he well. did that, he's never looked back. He's been great. He's got great scoring ability. He's great at holding up. He's got a slightly different profile to um, to Mbappe, but he's quite um, versatile in different systems, which might well help out. And he's a big game player, as we've seen, with him scoring the winner 
in the AFCON final for uh, Ivory Coast. So I think there are a few reasons. He's at Dortmund at the moment, and I think he's a player that they could go after. Um, Dortmund have a history of selling um, players on to big clubs, if you like. Andy doesn't no. believe, you know, doesn't think of it, but I mean, you know, great. No. Get the debate going. Exactly. Andy, before you, before you pull your computer out of the wall, tell us, tell us what you're thinking. Yeah, Sebastian Allo is a good player, but, but I, I don't believe for a second that PSG will think that he's an adequate replacement for Kylian Mbappe. And for a start, he is... Well, what is? Well, I, I, think, mean, I you know. think, listen, I think that... <laughs> Yeah, on the one hand, nobody's an adequate replacement for Mbappe. On the mm-hmm. other hand, the two names that are being most commonly mentioned, uh, Rafael Liao is a player with incredible potential, can play off the off the flank, and obviously has that connection to to, to Luis Campos and Lille. Another one is Victor Ozyman, mm-hmm. who is an absolutely sensational centre-forward, and you would change your way of playing to suit Ozyman, given the, the quality they have on the flanks. You know, Dembele and Barcola are having good seasons. Um, suddenly, you've got that target man. I know that Aller is a target man, but I think you're... I, think you're I, I, I don't know what makes you think that PSG would sign Sebastian Aller. I think Victor Ozyman would be the target. I think PSG will probably try to sign him and I think it will come down to whether Ozyman wants to go to the Premier League or whether he goes to PSG and I suspect that PSG will offer him more money than any club in England will offer him and I suspect that that might work. Um, it will just come down to whether Ozyman agrees to go there but I, I can see that happening. I think that the chances of them, I mean just to talk about Sebastian Aller, Sebastian Aller has not started a game for Borussia Dortmund since September. He's not scored a goal for Borussia Dortmund this season apart from in a cup tie in August against the lower league team. He's had all kinds of fitness problems I think if PSG are looking to sign him to replace Kylian Mbappe, I'd be very concerned about the people running the sporting side of the club. I think Victor Ozyman is going to be the man they want. And uh, otherwise, it might well be Liao. They're going to have to go for a really big name. Put it that way. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Rafael Liao. Ever since he arrived at, at Lille, I thought he was a, an outstanding player. And he, he's grown even more physically imposing and, and, and frightening at at AC Milan over the last few years. Perhaps the, uh, the the replacement is already there as well. We don't know. I mean, they've spent a lot of money on on Randall Colomwani, who was almost the hero of the World Cup just over 12 months ago in Qatar as well. He hasn't looked every bit that player so far this season at Paris Saint-Germain. Perhaps, perhaps wait and see. The other good news for, for Paris Saint-Germain fans and the Mbappe family, of course, is that Ethan Mbappe, the uh, 17-year-old little brother, has said that he's staying, that he's hanging around. So there still will be a Mbappe, one Mbappe in Rouge et Bleu. And perhaps, you know, we've seen how good Warren Zaire Emery is this season. Perhaps we've got another uh, fine young midfielder coming through there. Let's have a look back then at the last two rounds of Ligue 1 football. Andy, you were watching it from afar. Angus, you were keeping your finger on the pulse, of course. Paris Saint-Germain have skipped clear. At the top of the tables, obviously, all the talk was on Kiki, who was actually dropped to the bench for their match against Nantes at the weekend. But it was a 3-1 win over Lille, um, an informed Lille as well, with Ramos, Colomwani and Mbappe all on the scoreboard. Killian came off the bench against Nantes to, uh, to score his 21st goal of the season. Luca Hernandez also got on the score sheet in that one. Luca Hernandez from distance. It takes a deflection. Remy Decon beats it. And Paris Saint-Germain have the leads. Just as they were preparing to bring Mbappe off the bench. All of Nantes' hard work. Undone there. Luca Hernandez just tried his luck from distance. It takes a deflection off the boots of Musa Sissoko. That takes the ball slightly further away from Remy Decon. Here's Mbappe through the legs of the non defender and down. That will be a Paris Saint-Germain penalty. Brilliant skill, great invention from Mbappe. Spots the opening, knocks it through the legs of Douglas Augusto and the Brazilian with the clip. Up against Decomp, it's Mbappe. It's 2-0. And the smile says it all from the Prince of Paris. Missed his last one against Strasbourg. But no messing about from Kylian Mbappe. In the news all week. And he'll be leaving Paris Saint-Germain at the end of the season. But he 
dispatches from the spot there. PSG double their leads. Angus, you're always very close to, to what's happening on the pitch with Paris Saint-Germain. How have you seen their progress in the last couple of weeks? Well, the one thing that you haven't seen is them being distracted by what's going on with Kylian Mbappe. They've been remarkable in the way that they've been playing. I mean, the nearest they came to taking their eye off the ball was against Brest in the league where they allowed them to come back and draw 2-2. But they put that right in the Coupe de France. And of course, the last couple of games have seen them, well, we could just have seen Paris Saint-Germain wrap up the title in the last couple of uh, weeks because they're now so far ahead of everybody else again. Difficult to see anybody else really coming back. So Paris Saint-Germain have been basically performing brilliantly. And again, we were mentioning Warren Zaya Emery. He's the star of the show for me mm. at the moment. Um, absolutely fantastic. I mean, I have to keep reminding myself that he's still too young to have even taken his A-levels. You know, it's... Um, <laughs> You know, I know they don't do that in France, but you know what I mean. We're broadcasting to a, a, an English-speaking audience. 17 years old, and he looks like he's been around for the last 10 years. He dominates midfields. He leads them forward. And their midfield, Paris Saint-Germain, are really clicking on all levels. And that is really helping them transition from defence into attack. So I honestly can't see anybody else now winning the title. I think Paris Saint-Germain are just too far ahead. And... This is probably what they need with all of this other noise going around them with with regards to Kylian Mbappe. Here we go. Andy, they are 14 (laughs) points clear at the top. (laughs) Second place is Brest of all all clubs. I mean, it's crazy to think. I mean, I'm still waiting for them to slip up, but they're still there and they show no signs of abating. Sunday evening, the the big match of the round in theory in in France every, every Sunday night, Brest at home with one of their stands shut because their, their fans were, were too passionate, too much colour, too much uh, excitement, they still manage to get up over Marseille. Marseille and up. tried to play it out from the back. Les Melu, Pierre Les Melu has put Brest ahead in the final minutes of this game and you can't say it's not deserved. The 10 men Bretons have stolen the head and Gennaro Gattuso's Marseille plunged into crisis. Pierre-Les Melu, what a player, what a season he's having. It's a great finish from Prest's talisman. Their midfield maestro Pierre-Les Melu sliding it through the legs of Ruben Blanco with two minutes left to play. It's like we're in some alternate universe at the moment where Brest are knocking off the big guns. Are they going to keep going? I mean, this is it's remarkable. And, and Pierre Lesmelo's goal last night was was just superb, mm. a yeah. goal of confidence. Lesmelo had um, he's having a fantastic season. He put in a couple of tremendous crosses in that game, which which they could have scored from. And then he comes up with the goal. They're having a fantastic season. I mean. I think that I don't want to take anything away from them. They've come through a, a difficult run of games, haven't they? Because they had that game against PSG. Mm-hmm. They'd had three consecutive had draws. Nice. Yeah, um, they played Nice. Yeah, three consecutive draws, and then and then they, they they win that game last night. They're having a terrific time. Nevertheless, it it, it says a lot. I've been, uh, you know, I was I was allowing myself a little laugh as Angus Angus probably, you know, to suggest that this weekend was the weekend that PSG wrapped up the title might be, you know, I think I think the. the the title race has been over for a while, and the thing is that PSG didn't have a good start to the season. You know, they had they, they drew a few games in August, they lost at home to Nice, and yet here we are. They've got a, a, a lead of more than ten points with about a third of the season remaining. Now that says an awful lot about the rest of the league, and that is the problem. That is the problem in France. Right, PSG mm. have not been that good this season. They have overpowering uh, individual quality in their team that they will win most games, and they would do that in in any league in the world. You know they have that quality, but you have to say that the the other teams and Marseille are the prime example, of course, because they were the team who lost to Brest last night. They've not won a league game in twenty twenty four. They're having a dreadful time. They're all over the place, but it's not just them. Obviously, Lyon's problems are well documented. Monaco have have not been consistent enough, and that. You know that is unfortunate because these are clubs who have big budgets, who have, uh, you would think, would be doing better. And PSG's lead should not be what it is. It's not, you know, it's not all about PSG's brilliance. It's about the failings of other teams, and that's what that's what disappoints me because I haven't seen PSG often this season and thought, wow, they were brilliant. You know, so um, 
I, I'm I'm really disappointed. I think it's been a, a flop of a of a title race of a league season at the top of the table, and the interest is elsewhere in Liga, and that's that's unfortunate. But but here we are. You know, there's 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 a real fight on for the the Champions League places below that, and that's what will keep things interesting. And, and the relegation battle too is fascinating as well. The standings certainly are very very tight. If you remove Paris Saint Germain from the equation. We've spoken a lot this season about Nice and how, how well they've done under, under Francesco Farioli. Angus, they've lost their last two. Their reaction was one of a side that, and of people that are really starting to show some frustration here. Nice are in danger of losing that Champions League place, and that, I think, is what you're really starting to see them panic about. Are they falling off? Well, I, I think that uh, if, you, if you watch the game against Lyon, I mean, to blame it on the referee is just scapegoating because they had so many chances early on to be three, four goals in front and missed all of them. Mm. So, you know, it's very easy to, instead of blaming the players to actually blame somebody who's not part of the club. But I mean, that's now, you know, they've, they've had a terrible run in the last uh, six matches. They've lost their last two, which is why I said that uh, effectively the, t- the title race is now officially over because it's just that impact of two defeats that just sees them going backwards in a hurry. Um, only two wins in their last six games. I mean, that is where it's really gone. You can't blame a referee for their lack of points in consecutive games. You might be able to blame them in one. But I mean, you know, the, it, it, you, you win a title over a season. And um, the thing that's happened with Paris Saint-Germain is that they took a while to get going with this new possession-based football that uh, they're now playing, but now they're beginning to feel more comfortable in it and they're starting to play absolutely sensationally and they are just winning after winning after winning at the moment. And um, so everybody else is now not consistent. Paris Saint-Germain is winning a lot in the league and that is why they have continued to go on. And there isn't another side in Ligue 1 at the moment who is able to do that for large portions of the season. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Monaco get up over Nice and then lose to Toulouse. I mean, that, and there we saw the Monaco fans doing a, like an Olympic Lyonnais earlier this season. They got the team over and they chastised them and the team all had to, all these millionaire footballers had to go and stand there in front of the, the ultras and, and be chastised for losing and not showing enough spirit and, and how could you possibly lose to, lose to Toulouse? Andy, do you want to... Yeah, jump in I, quickly. I think. I think. I just no. I mean, I I know that I've been I've been in in Ivory Coast for for a month, and so perhaps took my eye off the ball a little bit. But I mean, PSG's game on Saturday, they played Nantes away from home. They had two attempts on goal, one of which two mm. two shots on target, one of which was the penalty that Mbappe scored. That's a Nantes team who are now, if I'm not mistaken, who are now in the relegation playoff position after that defeat and other results at the weekend. So I take issue with Angus suggesting that they're now playing absolutely sensationally. I know they made changes in that match off the back of the Champions League game. But I think that, I think that we have to be careful here. The, the idea that we should be showering Paris Saint-Germain in praise, to me, is slightly absurd. I mean, the problem is PSG are simply doing what you would expect them to do, given the, 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 the force they have. It's the failings of the other teams. And to suggest that because Nice have had a couple of defeats, the title race, I mean, Nice were never in the title race. They've scored 22 goals this mm. season. If you look at the league table, nobody has scored. <laughs> nobody has scored fewer goals than Nice, other than the. They've only conceded two. fourteen, Andy. Fifteen, yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> no that's that's great. But the, the the idea that a team could be title contenders when they're running at an average of one goal scored per game, and they have the they have the joint worst attack outside the automatic relegation places, it it, it was never going to happen. And all that's happening for Nice is a regression to the mean. Brest are doing way beyond what would be expected of them. I think Lille mm-hmm. are just about in the right place. They could be doing slightly better. They're a good team. Lille are a good team. The teams below them, Monaco, Marseille, Lyon, they are underperforming. Lens are coming back steadily after a poor start to the season, which has handicapped them. But I think they could yet finish in the Champions League places. But the title race is not over now because Nice have suffered a couple of defeats. Nice were, to me, Nice were never, never title contenders. The title race has not really been a thing this season. And that, to me, that, is, that disappoints me. And it disappoints me because, you know, we keep reading about how the international uh, rights for the league have not yet been sewn up. And we say, oh, Mbappe leaving is a blow. You know, it's, it's not just about that. It's also about having a league that is fought for and stadiums that are full. So when you watch Brest play Marseille last night, you don't have an empty stand behind the goal because, as you say, the fans were a bit too passionate. So, you know, 
there are other things at stake here, which which kind of which are what drive which are what drive me. And when it comes to league, yeah, it's about yeah, creating a competition. But, yes, but but Bundesliga hasn't had a competition. It does this year. No, it doesn't. But Bundesliga has been <laughs> ten <have> years. <laughs> no, it doesn't have a competition this year. Exactly. No, no, no. Not after course. last night. Of course. Not after Bochum. But and Italy hasn't had a competition for years. I, I don't think it's only. I think that's a big part of it. And I've spoken to rights brokers who have said. There's no competition in France. We all know Paris Saint-Germain are going to win the league. And it takes, like you say, uh, the other teams are faltering this year. It takes a Paris Saint-Germain to falter in the last 10 years to make it a title race, to give another side an option. But I think that's the same in other leagues as well. I think there are other elements as to why France is struggling to sell its international rights. And I think they're not, I think they're related to things that are almost not football or, you know, obviously the, the history of French clubs in Europe doesn't work in their favour either. That's just the one Champions League trophy from 1993 with Marseille works in their favour as well. But I think there are other elements, like when you, when you think about Italian football, the, the history of Italian immigration, of English immigration all over the world, um, has carried the flame of these, these clubs internationally. There are Milan fans and Juve fans all over the world. There are, there are Manchester United fans and Chelsea fans all over the world. Barcelona did it through their through their football and other leagues had their period in the sun back when we still look back romantically and nostalgically at football yep. in the old days whereas French football's moment in the sun has come when in this this social digital age where you know it's new it's modern and it's a little bit skeptical and you know there's huge money in the game now it's a little bit more murky. It's a lot harder now to have your moment in the sun and still be recognised at your true value. If you watch league and football, and everyone that works in league and football will tell you that the league is a, a fantastically competitive league oh, yeah. outside of Paris Saint-Germain and that matches are very hard to, to win, that everything's very, very tight. And for us that watch it and work in it, I find it intriguing and thrilling and very enjoyable every week mm. to be watching a league and match, even from the other side of the planet. When I, when I get up uh, at 7 o'clock in the morning and, and put on a Brest Marseille, and it is, but I, I appreciate that I have a history in the French game, exactly. which is why I do that. Yeah. These are the things that, that are holding the French game back, I think, because yeah. France is known for wine, cheese, baguettes, <laughs> and not football. No. And that's it. Yeah. So, But I think just to, just to, <laughs> to, to sort of bring it back to the initial point, I think it's just, to me, it's just a shame that the, the big clubs... Have not the the big clubs out with PSG because there are really big clubs in France out with PSG have not got their houses in order this season and therefore we're left in a situation where you know if one of them could have had could have been having a bit like Monaco in 2016-17 had this sensational season mm-hmm. if one of them could have been having a fantastic season then we would have had a title race PSG probably still would have come out on top because they usually do but at least there would be some sus- suspense and sadly we don't have that this season. Well, at the other end of the table, there is still suspense for who could be going down. For the moment, it's Metz and Clermont who are now down in the relegation zone and doing it very, very tough. But I think that will do. I mean, we could talk about Marseille and talk about more underperforming big clubs who are down to ninth in the table. But I think we'll we'll stop there. We've got too much to talk about, and we're we're already. I feel we're already going way over what are our our expected duration. So time to have a very quick, and it's all going to be very quick from here on in, and punchy look back at the round of 16 of the Coupe de France and ahead to the quarterfinals. Big wins for Rennes and Nice. Important win for Lyon as well, who got up over Lille. Monaco were stunned by Rouen, and Balogun was one of the big culprits in the penalty shootout there, so that was very disappointing for Monaco. PSG overcame Brest. Strasbourg kept their hopes alive with a win over Loire. We're into the quarterfinals now. The quarterfinal matchups are Olympique Lyonnais versus Strasbourg, Rouen versus Valenciennes, Le Puy Foot, which is a, a remarkable story that they've made it this far. They are taking on Stade Rene. And then a big one Paris Saint Germain versus Nice, which will not be played next week. It will be played in the middle of March because of Paris Saint Germain's. Uh, involvement, participation against Real Sociedad in the last 16. Angus, quick look ahead to the the quarterfinals. We're we're doing a little bit of sort of predictions here more than anything else. Paris Saint-Germain is still in the Coupe de France, but in this competition at least, it's not over 34 rounds. 
In this one, as we've seen in the last two years, Paris Saint-Germain can be eliminated. Two years ago, it was by Nice, or three years ago, by Christophe Galtier's Nice. So what do you think can happen here? And can we have a couple more surprises, Angus? Well, Nice will have certainly um, a little bit of a bee in their bonnet uh, after uh, not presenting a title challenge, as Andy says. So uh, <laughs> they will need to uh, to get that done. At least with the Coupe de France, you could say there's a bit more competition than you find in uh, maybe Liga at the moment. Paris Saint-Germain have demonstrated that over the last couple of uh, seasons, and we've had different winners, Nantes one year, then Toulouse the next year. Not sure that he, anybody was really foreseeing those as champions in the Coupe de France come the beginning of the campaign. But the, the thing you love about the, um, this competition is the way that the little clubs can come all the way through. Uh, they don't quite have the advantage at home like they used to. They used to be able to play at home all the way through. Now that doesn't quite happen. But Rouen, there with their victory over uh, Toulouse, which uh, sort of like stoked up memories of uh, Il Rousse back in uh, 2014 when they knocked Bordeaux out of the, uh, the, the, the cup as defending champions. So that will be an interesting one against Versailles, of course, who themselves mm-hmm. knocked out Nice from the semi-finals. So these things, um, they, they, you can never quite judge what's going to go on in the Coupe de France. And that's what makes it such a, a thrilling watch, I think. Andy, we've had some big upsets already, like, uh, like Rouen getting up over, over Monaco. Can we see any more surprises? I mean, Rennes are starting to perhaps see their focus change back towards the league and not, not to try and win the title. Obviously, I think we've, we've definitively put that one to bed. But uh, <laughs> perhaps for for continued European competition next season. Could they take their eye off the ball here? Um, <clears throat> yeah, they've, they, I mean, they're busy. I mean, they, they've got that Europa League tie to finish against uh, Milan mm-hmm. as well, albeit they'll probably get knocked out But um, after losing 3-0 in the first leg. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a big opportunity for Ren. Obviously, they, they, they want to be looking to finish in the European places in the league and also have a crack at the cup, that, that tie against Le Puy presents that opportunity for them. So that is an opportunity. I mean, certainly the other, the, the, the Rouen-Valenciennes tie will produce a surprise semi-finalist. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that goes without saying. And then beyond that, this is this is a chance for, clearly for PSG, but also I would say for, for Le- I mean, Lyon. You know, I mean, Lyon have mm-hmm. had this dreadful start to the season, but could yet finish the campaign um, with a trophy and, and, uh, and finishing in a comfortable position in the league. And Lyon have not won a cup of any sort since they won the Coupe de France in 2012. So it, it's important for them. And, and that, that is something to bear in mind. Ren, of course, won the Cup in 2019. So these, on, on paper, these would, if, assuming PSG beat Nice, which they must be favourites to do, then Lyon and Ren look the best uh, equipped teams to, to give them a, a challenge in the, in the semi-finals and on to the final. But yeah, great competition. As, as you guys know full well, the last couple of years we've had Toulouse and not lifting the trophy. It would be nice if Another club that doesn't often win silverware could get their hands on, on the cup this season. But of course, PSG look, look like they're getting stronger and stronger. So uh, I suspect they might be keen to get their hands on the cup after missing out in the last couple of years. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel at League One Uber Eats for all your match highlights, top goals, compilations, behind the scenes footage each and every week. You can check it out in English or in French. So get onto the highlights. They're online just hours after the final match of the weekend. You can subscribe there and get notified as soon as something drops. Well, coming up later in the show, we'll be looking at what the business end of the AFCON and the Asian Cup was like for our Ligue 1 Uber Eats stars. But right now, we're going to have a chat about Europe and what happened to our French sides in the first round of knockout competition. Over two legs, of course, so we're only halfway through it. But first up, we've been chatting about Paris Saint-Germain probably enough in this pod so far, but Andy... And this is in keeping with what you've been saying. That first half against Real Sociedad, we saw a Real Sociedad side playing as well as they can play because they haven't been playing so well in recent weeks, Real Sociedad either. But they clearly lifted for this one. They had incredible energy. They hit the crossbar in the first half as well. Um, Luis Enrique said as much after the game that the first half really could have gone either way. Perhaps 2-0 was flattering in the end for Paris Saint-Germain but you said you can't see them winning the Champions League. What what worried you so much in this performance? Because in the second half, we did see an improved Paris Saint-Germain. We yeah. saw probably that individual quality come through as well and just show the difference there is between one of these giant juggernauts of the European game and a courageous side playing out of its skin. I think with PSG, it's probably the, the, the issue that I have is that 
who sets the standard in Europe at the moment? Obviously, it's Manchester City, right? They're the reigning champions. Mm-hmm. They play fantastic football. They, they they have this tendency to start stringing together wins at the key point in the season, which they've started doing now, albeit they, they didn't win at the weekend. But they are they are the the force in the European game. And then behind them, you would say Real Madrid with the talent they have, with the, with the experience they have, even with the, the injury problems they have right now, they, they are a force to be reckoned with. There are one or two other teams... Arsenal, Bayern Munich, Inter, who you would say if PSG end up playing against them, they might have some problems. Real Sociedad are a good team, but they are a team who will who will probably not finish in the Champions League places in La Liga this season. They are a team who, as you said, have been struggling a little bit recently, albeit they were without Oyar Zabal, their, their top scorer because of injury in the first leg. So, you know, the idea that PSG can play like that and struggle to... It, it's a, To me, it's about control, you know? I mean, the, the PSG have the individual quality to, to in moments to make the difference in games. We saw that with Barcola's goal, for example. Uh, took it really mm-hmm. well, despite a, a difficult first touch. I didn't really get the sense that PSG were completely in control of the game. And I think that, I mean, I know a, a lot of people have touched on the, the change in position in midfield between Fabian Ruiz and, and, and Vitinha, who just switched around in the midfield in the second half and that made a big difference. But the, it, to me, it comes down to the midfield, really. The midfield has been PSG's Achilles heel ever since the breakup of the Matuidi Mota, Verratti, Trident and the focus on the front two when they signed Mbappe and Neymar, it's never really reverted back. They've never really developed that same level of control again. And I think it's difficult for them to win the Champions League if that's the case. They can, they can take on anybody on their day, but I just can't, I just don't, I mean, I think they should get the better of Real Sociedad despite despite the remarkable collapses in recent years in, in Champions League last 16 times from winning positions in the first leg, but they should get through, but you know, there's there's a gulf between Real Sociedad and your Man Cities, you know. So, I'm, mm. I'm not convinced that PSG can can go much further in the Champions League. Elsewhere in the Europa League round of 32, Shakhtar Donetsk and Marseille drew two two in Hamburg. That return match is coming to the Velodrome. Um, Aubameyang and Ndiaye on the score sheet for Marseille. AC Milan. So that match very much alive for Olympic de Marseille. AC Milan three nil. Victors over Stade Rene at the San Siro. Ruben Loftus-Cheek got a double before Rafael Leao added number three for them. So Stade Rene with a lot of work to do. It was a double from the penalty spot from Angel Di Maria for Benfica that saw them get up over Toulouse. And unlucky because it was a plucky Toulouse performance at the Stadio Luge. And Lens and Freiburg ended nil-nil. Angus, you know your German football very well as well. Lens will be heading off over to Germany for that return leg. They've dropped out of the Champions League. They're finding some form in France. Are they uh, a good chance of, of heading through and flying the French flag in the Europa League? Well, I love, the, I love this uh, tie. To be honest with you, I see an awful lot of similarities between uh, the profile of Freiburg and the profile of Lens. Two sort of rural clubs, if you like, um, small towns, family clubs couple of iconic managers, although Christian Streich has been around a lot longer than Frank Ez. They're a team in Germany that have no right, really, to still be in the Bundesliga. They just keep on pulling out results. And of course, they're in new territory now because they, they've, they're now in Europe and punching above their weight there too. But for me, Lance should have enough for this. I wouldn't have said this at the beginning of the season with the way Lons started off the campaign in Ligue 1, but they, they, they seem to have found their mojo again. They've managed to adapt to the absences or rather the losses of really influential players at the beginning of the campaign. Don't ask me to say who's going to win it though because uh, <laughs> the, it's, it's going to be one on who can actually come up with a decent attack, I think, um, in that tie. But it's a fascinating one and I would encourage everybody to watch it. I'll certainly be trying to get a get onto that when it comes up. All right. Well, we wish our French clubs all the very best, of course, coming up in European action in the next couple of weeks with the chance of flying that French flag even further. Now, there is great history between England and France when it comes to football. Most of the time, it's uh, French players heading across the Channel North uh, to England and and writing the history of the, the, the Premier League However, there have been several exceptions of players coming the other way. David Beckham had his pre-retirement sabbatical with PSG. Joe Cole had a scintillating loan spell at Lille. And Joey Barton, of course, was Joey Barton 
in Marseille for his season. There also has been a spate of young English players in recent season. Angel Gomez, Steffi Mavadidi, Josh Madja, Emran Soglu, just a few have enjoyed the opportunities offered to young players in the French top flight. And they've done very well. But none of these talented young players have come anywhere near the impact that a certain mulleted England winger by the name of Christopher Roland Waddle had 40 years ago now, uh, nearly 40 years ago looking back. He was a remarkable footballer, sensationally swapped from North London and Tottenham Hotspur for Marseille in the summer of 1989. And um, Professor Andreas Evagora is here to tell us this remarkable story. What makes a true Marseille legend? For which players should OM make the ultimate honour and retire a shirt number? These two burning questions were recently put to Suleiman Diawara, Marseille fan favourite and league and champion. You retire a shirt number for a man who's made memories that last forever, said Diawara. Only three players have ever done that for OM, not me, but Basil Bolly, Jean-Pierre Papin and Chris Waddle. That last name might surprise younger Ligue 1 fans, but the English winger truly made a unique impression on French football, arguably the most lasting ever for a foreign player. When this correspondent moved to Paris in the 1990s, the mere mention of my nationality and love for football to any Frenchman would invariably produce the same reply. Ah, magic Chris. So why the enduring admiration for the Newcastle-born winger? Why did Waddle become the player described by one cerebral French magazine as the man who made an entire generation dream? Why did OM fans vote him the club's second best player of all time behind the legendary Jean-Pierre Papin? It didn't matter that the Englishman had an unpronounceable name and only spent three seasons in France, or that he left Marseille before they won the Champions League. Waddle brought flair, individuality and fun. His dribbling and free kicks were stuff of legend and surprising to French fans brought up on the stereotype of tough but talent-free Englishmen. In 1989, Waddle was brought to Marseille by Bernard Tappy after the OM owner had failed to buy Diego Maradona. Tappy needed a character to excite Marseille's fans, so splashed out £4.5 million. Back then, only Maradona and Ruud Hullet had ever cost more. All the more surprising because the Englishman had won nothing in nine years at Newcastle and Tottenham and was virtually unknown in France. Arriving at Marseille Airport, Waddle was asked for an interview, but only by a local music journalist who'd mistaken him for a member of Pink Floyd, who were playing a concert that weekend. Initially, it looked like OM had made a monumental blunder. The 28-year-old Waddle was overweight. That summer of 1989 was the hottest in years and the man brought up in the chilly northeast of England crumbled in training under the unforgiving Mediterranean sun. Keeper Gaetan Ouar was watching on. Ouar admitted to having no idea why Marseille had even signed this lanky Englishman, joking that Waddle's burning pale skin made him look like a crayfish. Not speaking a word of French made matters worse. Coach Gerard Gilly tried and failed Waddle in a Maradona number 10 role. But just before the season started, Gilly sketched a football pitch on a piece of paper, gave Waddle a pen and asked him where he wanted to be positioned. Waddle drew a long line down the flank. Gilly understood and a memorable relationship with legendary striker Papin was born. Waddle had no greater fan than the Ballon d'Or winner. Of all the guys I've played with, Waddle is the one with whom I had the best connection. As the evenings cooled, so Waddle prospered. His long-range shots, feints, dribbles and free kicks were legion. Any Marseille fan worth his salt can describe the goal against PSG in October 1989. One-on-one -on -one against keeper Joel Batz. He controls the ball on his chest, flicks it over the keeper before back-heeling into an empty net, almost as if to mock the haughty visitors from the capital. Magic Chris had plenty of memorable European nights too. Against Milan in 1991, a volley off his wrong foot brought down the house. Waddle was the toast of the city. He delighted in the fact that he could park his car anywhere in Marseille, knowing that he'd never have to pay a fine. 
Then there was Waddle the fashion victim. His famous hairstyle has been voted the best mullet in football history. Many a young Marseille fan adopted the cult hairstyle, much to the bemusement of friends and parents alike. The music industry beckoned with a quickly forgotten but now charming duet with Basil Bolly hitting the record stores just before the 1991 European Cup final. Mixed in with the highs, the elegant rebel had some painful lows. Waddle had never quite recovered from the lost penalty shootout to Red Star Belgrade in that 1991 showpiece. Waddle didn't want to take a penalty that night, still traumatised after missing a decisive spot kick in the World Cup semi-final one year earlier. Then the shock of 1992. Marseille fans were stunned when after three French league titles and 22 goals, Waddle's stay in the south of France came to a sudden end. Finances were tight, the wage bill had to be cut. Waddle and Papin were both quickly sold. Ironically, the next season would see Marseille's greatest ever night, beating Papin and Milan in the first Champions League final. By then, Waddle had returned to England and had lost not one but two more finals with Sheffield Wednesday. But as OM fans celebrated their European triumph, few had forgotten a player who'd helped bring them to the summit with his thrilling brand of football, Magic Chris. Magic Chris, what a what a personality. It was a spectacular haircut. He was a brilliant player, and my memory of him was uh, trying to beat Bodo Ilner with a shot in that World Cup from near the halfway line in that fated semi-final against, against West Germany where Gaza cried and, uh, and all of that. Who else has a Chris Waddle memory, Angus? Well, I mean, he's a fantastic player. And this is a point as well, in early 1990s, English players just didn't go to France. I mean, it, it, it was a, I remember seeing the news and Chris Waddle is going there. Then, of course, uh, Glenn Hoddle went to Monaco as well. And these were sort of like, these were seen as like real pioneers. Like, gosh, look what they're doing. They're pioneers. They're adventurers. They're going off and leaving England. If you meet a Marseille supporter and you talk about Chris Waddle, they just sort of light up. You know, they, they loved him. I mean, he almost won the European Cup, but not quite. And my memory of him was in the semi-final against Milan, just to keep, uh, you know, Milan in the conversation, where at the end of the game in the semi-final there, he went on this amazing run forward, beat a whole load of players, went into the penalty area, and you're thinking Maradona all over again. And then he put it wide because he fell over. as <laughs> He tried to go around <laughs> the, the keeper. And for me, it was sort of like the the, the genius who didn't quite reach that world level that maybe he could have done, you know, because he was sensationally talented. He was brilliant in England. I loved watching him when I was much, much younger. Andy, I have a note from producer Stephen to ask you about Gary Bockley's bird's nest hairstyle from the noughties. <laughs> did, did you, have, did you uh, have an issue with the, the superb mullet that, that Chris Waddle wore, or do you have... Uh... Other preferences? No, not at all. I mean, Wad <laughs> Waddle had a fantastic haircut. I was laughing at the the mention of Gary Bocali because uh, <laughs> I'd forgotten about Gary Bocali altogether. An unsung <laughs> hero in the Montpellier team that won the league in 2012. In case anybody yeah. had forgotten, the, the right back I think in that team. Listen, what Waddle was? I mean, I'm really probably a bit too young to remember Waddle properly. I can remember the first European Cup final that I can remember watching was the 1991 final, which obviously Waddle played in. Marseille losing on penalties to, to Red Star Belgrade. But my memories of Waddle really are, are when he was at Sheffield Wednesday after he came back to, to England and he played mm. in quite a good, Angus will, will remember better than me, probably played in quite a good Wednesday team that got to the final of the FA Cup and the, and the League Cup in England in the same season, which was probably the year he came back to, to England from, from Marseille. So he, he was a great player, but sadly, I'm a, and I'm nearly 40, by the way, so it's not like... Um, not like right, I, it's yeah. not like I'm a little, not like I'm a little boy, but I am a little bit too young to remember to remember Waddle uh, in his pop. But of course, the haircut does. When I think of Waddle, yeah, of course, I think of the fantastic haircut. Well, if you want to see a little bit more of Chris Waddle and what all the fuss is about, there are video links in our show notes, so you can go down and, and click on there and have a look for yourselves on a catch a bit of a YouTube session to see the the glory of the mercurial magic Chris. You can also 
Check out league1.com for all our top flight news from France. There's highlights there, match previews, stories, features, everything you can poke a stick at if poking sticks is your thing. Okay, folks, now it's time for the moment you've certainly all been waiting for. It's Deja Who for our Black Belt French Football Trivia Masters, an epic battle to establish order from chaos. Here we go. It is our question. Now, you're in the chance to win that signed Thijs de Linga Toulouse jersey. Um, so that is a fantastic kit from the defending Coupe de France winners, of course. So answer this. Send your answers to league1podcast at gmail.com to go into the running for that Thijs de Linga jersey. will be announced in two weeks' time who the winner was. Who am I? I am the grandson and son of international footballers. And my dad also graced the Ligue 1 stage. Carrying a famous footballing name, I was born in a famous footballing city and wore the colours of its most famous team before embarking on a career that would see me play in all of Europe's top five leagues before the age of 25. In fact, I am only the second person to score in each of the big five leagues in the 21st century. Despite being a full senior international, some might say, for the moment at least, those trivia, trivia questions remain my biggest claim to fame. I have lost a Europa League final and I lost a Coupe de France final during my season-long loan in Ligue 1. Who am I and who did my dad play for in the French top flight? So there you go, if you have it, league1podcast at gmail.com to go into that running for that splendid Teisterlinger jersey. Okay, both the Africa Cup of Nations and the Asian Cup ended with victory for the host nation. The Cote d'Ivoire got up, the elephants pulling it off. I mean, you could call it a fairy tale, you could call it a roller coaster, you could call it all sorts of, of things. Andy was there. How was the final, Andy? Because we spoke to you just before the semis, you predicted what would be in the final. How was it? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a good. I think it was a good tournament. Uh, probably the best Afcon in recent memory. Uh, I think that's probably the general consensus. There was lots of drama. Um, not every game was brilliant, but I think there was there was lots lots of fantastic moments. The Ivory Coast story is incredible because on on the one hand it is a it is an astonishing comeback story. On the other hand, it shows that you can predict what might happen. You can plan for things, but I mean, just utter chaos, you know, for a team to suffer, <laughs> to sack their coat. Well, in the French media, they have suggested that Jean-Louis Gasset resigned, but that's only been reported in L'Equipe. Now, I, I personally, I find it hard to believe that the Ivorian Football Federation would say that they had sacked him when he had, in fact, resigned. The, the key thing was that, that Gasset left and he was replaced by M.S. Faye, who'd never managed a team before. Um, they tried to bring in Hervé Renard, the coach of the France women's team, who, of course, was the Ivorian coach when they won the AFCON the last time in 2015. So, And this was all a time when they didn't think they were going to get through to the, the knockout stages because they had, um, they, they'd lost 4-0 at home in their last group game, their heaviest ever home defeat. <laughs> so you go from that to them, to them going all the way to the final um, in, in remarkable circumstances. Some of the, the ties that they came through, just incredible that they made it there. But in the end, I mean, the, the funny thing about the final was, you know, I was sitting there in the final, which was an incredible occasion, you know, just the sort of frenzied atmosphere inside the stadium. I would say that the capacity of the stadium just outside Abidjan, 60,000. The crowd was given officially as 57,000, but I would suggest there was probably more like 70,000 people in the ground. I, I know from people who were outside the stadium that they, they opened the gates to let people in just in the hour before kickoff because because the, there was too many people there. The backdrop to that, of course, is that in Cameroon two years ago, there was a tragic crush and stampede outside the stadium in Yaoundé, uh, which led eight people losing their lives. And I wonder if that maybe had anything to do with the decision. Our driver uh, was one of the people who, was, who, who, who got into the stadium without a ticket. <laughs> so people got into the <laughs> ground to watch the game. From, from my vantage point, you could see across, you could see that all the stairways were completely blocked full of people, all, all the other vantage points around the stadium were full of people. There was a huge crowd there. The atmosphere was was pretty incredible. And when Nigeria scored, I thought, well, that's it. Nigeria are going to win 1-0 because they always win 1-0. Um, 
But then Ivory Coast got the momentum in the second half. And, and once it was 1-1, you just sensed they were going to go on and win the game. And that was a comeback story to end all comeback stories. And the fact that Sebastian Aller, who Angus was talking about before, got the winner is incredible because this is a guy who a year ago was only just returning from, from treatment for testicular mm. cancer. So an amazing story and a great story from a French footballing perspective. Lots of, lots of guys with a link to Ligue 1. I mean, lots of players in that Ivory Coast team who were born in France, uh, never mind who just play in France. I mean. You know, off the top of my head, Yaya Fofana, the goalkeeper who's with Angers in Ligue 2, uh, Jeremy Boga, who, who was born in Marseille, who plays for Nice, who'd lost his place in the starting lineup. Several other players, of course, Sikho Fofana, Paris native, but Ivory Coast international. So, and Emel Faye himself was, was born in France and, and played in France. So, close links between Ivory Coast and, and a, a great success, a great story, and a, a great tournament, and just very hot. Yep, absolutely. Wilfred Singo, who's with Monaco at the moment and having a, an excellent season there. Umar Diakite was on the score sheet for Reims on the weekend as well, just returning from, uh, from that winning Cote d'Ivoire starting 11. A number of other players, Sebastian Haller, Seiko Fofani, you mentioned Serge Aurier, Jean-Michel Serri, Maxalin Gradel, Ibrahim Songaré, all players that played or spent a long time in France. Nicolas Pepe, Jonathan Bomba as well, another who spent well, Jonathan Bomber, a fantastic Ligue 1 career at a number of clubs. Also, commiserations to Moses Simon, who uh, started the final on the bench, and Terra Moffi, who also came off the bench, finally got his first minutes in the final. In the Asian Cup, it was disappointment for Jordan's Musa Altamari, who made it all the way to the final, the first time Jordan had ever made it that far, the Montpellier winger who was involved in Montpellier's match at the weekend as well. They overcame Lee Kang-In's career in the semi-finals, a massive upset to go all the way through to the final, where they lost to three penalties and a 3-1 scoreline against the host nation Qatar in the Asia Cup final. Some of the big stories to come out, there was trouble for, for Junior Ito in Japan, but uh, another one of the to- stories which may yet have longer, bigger repercussions in a, in a sporting sense for the national team, was Lee Kang-in, who apparently left dinner to go and play table tennis, and that was looked upon very badly by Son Heung-min. And apparently there was a, 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 you know, it almost came to fisticuffs. The next day, Korea Republic were bundled out of the tournament and there is some, some talk that Son, some other more senior players, Hwang Hee-chan and Kim Min-jae, have uh, threatened to, to walk away from the national team, the, the Korean national team, the Taeguk Warriors, if Lee Kang-in is selected again and returns and remains an international player. So an interesting one for the Paris Saint-Germain winger who uh, started the Asian Cup in sensational form, got a couple of goals, number of assists. There were some very pally photos with, with Son Hung Min as well in, in training and everything. Everything looked to be going swimmingly well, so perhaps a few issues. We'll have to see how Lee goes, but he too has been straight back into action with Paris Saint-Germain. Okay, well, we'd like to thank you all for your support in listening to this podcast and if you are enjoying it, which is probably why you're here and you keep coming back, let's hope so anyway, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and tell your friends unless you're always telling them and they're sick of it and it's starting to affect your personal life. You can stop telling your friends about Le Bourgeois, the Ligue 1 podcast. But otherwise, get on there and give us some very promising reviews. Okay, gents, we're almost done. Time to look ahead to weeks 23 and 24 of the Ligue 1 season. Coming up, it's a tough stretch for Monaco who have Lens and Paris just after they got bounced from the top four. So they've got to be careful. Same for PSG. Big matches with Real Sociedad at the end of that tunnel. Relegation six-pointers as well for Nantes against Lorient and then at home to Metz. Nice, they need to bounce back. They should be able to against bottom club Clermont and then a Toulouse side who are mixing very good with less than average at the moment. And Olympic Lyonnais, who have climbed up to 11th, amazingly, after their disastrous start to the season. They can keep going now. They have a must-win against Metz and then a very tough match against Lens. Angus, looking ahead to this weekend's action, what do you like and why? I must admit, I'm tempted. I like... um... 
I'd like to go and see whether Leon can keep on uh, with uh, their improvement. Um, I wouldn't say that they are um, spectacular at the moment, but they're looking more solid. And it was very helpful that uh, their win at uh, the weekend didn't come as a result of Alexandre Lacazette scoring because he scored like 50% of their goals. The coach has been telling him that he wants him to sort of try and push forward a bit to try and encourage the uh, attacking midfielders to be able to come into the box a bit more, which is exactly what he did for the goal for Mangala at the uh, the weekend. Uh, he looked a bit offside to me, to be honest with you. He was right next to the goalkeeper, but uh, we'll let that one go. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I'm quite tempted to see whether or not this really is a renaissance because they do now seem to be putting a few results together. Andy, it's a, it's a big couple of weeks, obviously. You think the title's gone. I think we all could probably agree with you on that one. <laughs> but uh, is there anything here that's tickling your fancy coming up in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I'm looking forward to Lens against Monaco this coming Sunday. I commentated the, the cup game between these teams at the start of January, which was, which was a rip-roaring cup tie decided on penalties. And that's a very important game in the, in the fight for Champions League qualification, I would suggest. Uh, that's this weekend. The following weekend, of course, you've got Monaco PSG. But I think I'm quite interested, actually, potentially in the Marseille game away at Clermont because I suspect that if, if Marseille go out of Europe this week and if um, Gennaro Gattuso hangs on that long, well, if Marseille end up not winning that game against the Clermont team who are right down at the bottom of the table, and it really might be, you know, if they're already in a crisis. Either it might be curtains for Gattuso then, or, or they'll already be onto their third manager of the season. So that's probably one to keep an eye on as well, because Marseille are in uh, not in a good situation at the moment at all. Yeah, absolutely. That is very, very much the case. I mean, it's not Gattuso's side. He was brought in to try and to try and turn this turn this whole situation around it hasn't been easy it looked at the start as though it might just start to start to take but yeah the last month and a half well last couple of months haven't been good for Olympic de Marseille huge couple of matches in the Ligue 1 to to look out for coming up in the next couple of weeks well we'll be back in two weeks time we'll be looking back at all the action from the next two rounds of Ligue 1 football looking ahead to what's still to come there's European action we'll have cup action as well. Um, thank you very much, Angus Tarod and Andy Scott, for joining us today. Thank you both. Thanks, Robbie. Cheers. And we will see you again in two weeks' time for more of Le Bourgeois. We'll have a new shirt up for grabs in our quiz Deja Who. Until then, we wish you bon match and we'll see you very, very soon. Bye bye, everyone. Who goes for goal?